With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The 2020 MLB season will be won like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a tremendous show for you today as Jared Smith does great work with SportsGrid. He hosts the show Morning After for them. He also does some work with MSG and FanDuel. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to get his thoughts on the first few weeks of the season. We're also going to be talking about ballpark dimensions and how sometimes when the book adjusts to totals that are going way under slash way over in a new ballpark, you wind up trying to find that good middle and you sort of zig while everyone else is zagging. So we're going to have that chat. We're going to be taking a look at a couple games for Sunday as well. We're going to have a good time with that. In the final segment, going to be giving you guys a side total on every game on Sunday's MLB betting board and a little something you like to call, touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions. If there's something that you like answered on this podcast, fired into my timeline at JarenScore D1. If you send these via direct message, aka DM, well, letters DM to me, me does not matter. I know that some of you guys asked about the Blue Jays game that was suspended. Very much unless we had a first inning bet, that is something that should be a refund since obviously you didn't wind up having five full innings or anything like that, so easy enough there. Now let's take a look back at everything that we saw from Saturday, and I will be bringing up that Blue Jays game a little bit later as well to give you guys a little bit more there. Try to find some trends, try to get to know these teams a little bit better as well. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Gotta give some love to the home state Milwaukee Brewers. They wind up taking down the Chicago Cubs by a count of 65. 
little bit sad that the under did not wind up coming through, but with that said, for the Milwaukee Brewers, all of a sudden, this is a team that has gotten some opportunities with men in scoring position, and they went 5 of 16 with those. Now, they did wind up leaving 10 men on base, but bullpen in this game for the Brewers was terrific. They go a grand total of 5 innings. They give up 2 total runs, but only 1 of which was earned. Why Corey Knable was in the game to face off against Steven Sosa, I have absolutely no idea, but he wound up giving up a sole home run. This after Adrian Hauser went 5 innings. He gave up 3 runs. All 3 of those runs in the first 2 innings, and for Sosa, that was his first home run in the campaign. He wound up going deep off of Knable and then Anthony Rizzo wound up taking Hauser for a ride. That was his fifth, but for the Cubs, this was sort of a pseudo-bullpen game. They wound up having to go with Colin Rhea as the starter in this one. It, things were just completely shifted around with Tyler Chatwood getting scratched on Friday. Three in the third innings, he winds up giving up three runs off, which were earned. A Cubs bullpen that entered into this game with the second-worst bullpen ERA in the National League to only the Philadelphia Phillies, who have been doing a really bad job. Well, they weren't necessarily too bad in this one. Six and two-thirds innings, they do wind up giving up a grand total of three runs, only two of which were earned. Once again, you have that ghost runner in the 10th inning as Jeremy Jeffries wound up giving up that one. And then you had Casey Sadler giving up a run as well. But by and large, very good win for the Milwaukee Brewers. And this looks a trend of overs as right around 66% of the games between these teams in their last 55, no matter where the location is, have dipped under. So certainly a little bit of something there. We obviously have to talk about the other team in the division. The St. Louis Cardinals, who played for the first time in 15 days, they wind up playing a double dip against the Chicago White Sox. And they win both of them. First game, 5-1. to one. They jump all over Lucas Giolito. Five innings from Giolito. He gives up five runs, four of which were earned for the St. Louis Cardinals. They were able to get a whole lot of something out of Dexter Felder. He had two RBI in this one. Team as a whole went 3 of 10 with runners in scoring position. And they wound up being able to get a very good start out of Andrew Wainwright. Someone who typically has some very demonstrative home and road splits. He winds up going 5 strong. He gives up 1 inning. And then from there, Giovanni Gallegos and John Gant were able to close the door. And for the Chicago White Sox, they were able to get some good relief pitching out of Ross Stettweiler along with Jose Ruiz. So they were able to hold up there. And that was an under. Second game wound up going over. How about the Cardinals putting up a 6-pot in 7 innings on the Chicago White Sox? 6-3 the final in this one. For the St. Louis Cardinals, pair of home runs in this one. You wind up having Mr. Paul Goldschmidt going deep for his second home run in the campaign, and it looks like they have something with Mr. Tyler O'Neill. He goes deep for his third. For the St. Louis Cardinals, getting the start in this one, young Jake Woodford. He winds up going three innings. He gives up one run in the process. He was lifted for Genesis Cabrera, and Genesis Cabrera wound up leaving with a Genesis high ERA at a 18. He did wind up giving up a home run in this one as going deep for the Shy Sox in this one. Eloy Jimenez is sixth and Luis Robert is third. As in this one, you wound up having the wholesale approach for the Chicago White Sox. Matt Foster served as the opener, as he's done a couple times for the White Sox so far this year. Two strong innings out of him, and then from there, things really wound up falling apart as Zach Birdie winds up giving up one of those home runs. Evan Marshall gave up in zero innings because he didn't record a single out. Two runs including a bomb, so that was not necessarily ideal. Steve Ciszek wound up giving up a run as well, and for the Chicago White Sox, they wind up getting those two home runs and really not a whole lot of else because they wind up getting a grand total of three hits in this one, so needless to say, that was not ideal. We also had a double dip out there in the Twin Cities as the Minnesota Twins wind up taking game one of that doubleheader 
4-2, they wind up taking down the Kansas City Russ. In this one, you had Ian Kennedy go two innings for this bunch. He winds up not giving up a single run, but then instead of going with Jacob Junis like they had intended, they just went with a whole bullpen game. Scott Barlow winds up pitching a good inning, but they wind up having Tyler Zuber giving up two runs over the course of two-thirds of an inning. Greg Holland winds up giving up a run as well. And then when you take a look at the Kansas City Royals in this one, Miguel Franco was the big bright spot. He winds up getting his fifth home run of the campaign. That was Jake Odorizzi who gave that up. Odorizzi winds up going four innings, giving up two runs. But then from there, Ty Duffy, Submergio Romo, and Tyler Rogers were able to close out the game. And for the Minnesota Twins, Nelson Cruz continuing to do Nelson Cruz things. He had a double and a home run. Home run is his fifth. He now has 20 RBI. And by the way, with game two of the doubleheader going under, the Minnesota Twins have played just one over so far this year at home. I think that that'll blow the minds of a lot of people. And after the Twins took game one by a count of 4-2, it was flipped. The Royals in game two wind up taking it 4-2 as one Jose Barrios, someone who typically pitches better at home than he does on the road. Well, he didn't necessarily give the best of starts in this one. He goes four innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. From there, I will say, Jorge Alcala winds up going two strong innings. He winds up giving up three heads, but he was able to evade danger. And Zach Littell winds up pitching a good inning as well. For the Minnesota Twins, guess who went yard? Nelson Cruz, sixth of the campaign. That's really the only damage that was done to the Kansas City Royals. As the Duff man delivered, Danny Duffy winds up going five innings. He gives up two runs, one of which were earned. Lone earned run was that home run to Cruz. From there, Jake Stomont along with Trevor Rosenthal are able to close it out. And for the Kansas City Royals, it was a Whit Merrifield show. He winds up getting his fifth home run of the campaign off of Mr. Barrios. He drove in all four of the runs for the Royals. He's now hitting a 305. He certainly has been one of the more valuable players out there in the American League. What else is very valuable is not betting on the Mets because they wind up losing to the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of 6-2. Aaron Supernola was super once again. Seven innings pitch, eight punch outs, doesn't give up a run. From there, the Phillies bullpen continues to have their 9-plus ERA rocking. Ramon Oroso winds up going two innings and he gives up two runs in the process for the New York Mets. They were able to get a home run off the bat of Dominic Smith. He's actually been very good for this team. Sixth home run of the campaign, but for Steven Matz, well, the bad Steven Matz wound up showing up. You either get great Steven Matz or you get terrible Steven Matz. You really don't get in between Steven Matz. Gives up six runs over the course of four and a third innings. Credit to the bullpen. Dylan Betances, Brad Brock, and Jersich Familia, who's typically Spanish for blown save. Four and two-thirds innings, and they go scoreless. Only two hits allowed as well, so that was a little bit good for the New York Mets. If you're taking a look at the New York Mets, this is a team that has actually been very interesting recently as they have scored two runs or fewer in now three out of their last five games. And if you're looking at four runs or fewer, they have done so in seven out of their last ten. So this is a team that they've had a little bit of a rough time putting runs up on the board. The Cleveland Indians have as well. That's why they've only played five overs in 21 games, but they were able to dispatch the Detroit Tigers by a count of three to one. Not necessarily the start that Spencer Turnbull had in mind. He goes four and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But how about the bullpen of this team? You wind up having Jose Cicerno, John Scriber, Brian Garcia, along with Mr. Ronnie Garcia. Garcia. All come in. They provide four and a third innings of scoreless baseball, so they did their job there. And every time he had a scoring opportunity for the Detroit Tigers, it was Cameron Maben swinging at the first pitch and grounding out. So good for him there. Meanwhile, Shane Bieber, well, if you've got Bieber fever, I understand why. 11 punch outs in seven innings. It was 7-11, so he is always open to getting strikeouts. And then from there, Nick Wickren winds up giving a run out of the bullpen and Brad Hand 
Well, he's now got an ERA of a 635, and for some reason, he's still the team's closer. He does wind up giving up one run. It was an unearned run. He was hurt by a pair of errors out there on the field, but certainly not necessarily ideal there. But the Cleveland Indians able to get the job done once again. The Atlanta Braves were able to get the job done as well. They take down the Atlanta Braves by kind of 2-1. to one. How about the way that Mr. Max Fried has been able to pitch for this team? Six and a third innings. He gives up four hits, no runs. He did have three walks, but he was able to evade danger. Shane Green came in. He pitched nine pitches, and he was able to get out of the seventh inning. Will Smith got jiggy with it. He did wind up giving up a run. That was a solo shot for the Miami Marlins as getting his first home run of the year. Monte Harrison, who I remember very fondly hitting a buck 50 for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers during the 2013 season. Needless to say, I don't necessarily have the best of memories of him because I grew up like 10 minutes away from the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers stadium. Every time I would buy a ticket, he would give me a golden sombrero. So thanks a lot, Monte Harrison. But he wound up going yard in this one. And for the Miami Marlins, they were able to get much more than a golden sombrero out of Daniel Castano. Very good start here. He winds up going six innings. He gives up one run from there. Brandon Kitzler winds up giving up the game-winning home run to Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall is all of a sudden doing a good job hitting for this team. He winds up going deep for his start of the campaign. And the one that Castano gave up, that was to Marcel Ozuna. Mr. Ozuna gets his fifth home run of the campaign. And for the Miami Marlins, they still stand at 9-5. and five, So they've been able to do a rock-solid job there. And for the Marlins, in games in which are not played in the city of Buffalo, they have given up three and runs or fewer, and now I believe it is four out of their last six games. So they've been able to do a solid job there. Speaking of doing a solid job, the New York Yankees have been doing a great job of just taking it to the Boston Red Sox. 11-5, the final in this one. For the Yankees, just all sorts of power in this one. Gary Sanchez goes deep off of Nathan Eovaldi, his fourth of the campaign. Gio Urshela, if this sounds familiar, he gets his fourth home run of the campaign. That was off of Nathan Eovaldi. Clint Frazier, why he wasn't starting the year, I don't know. This is a guy that's always underrated with his bat. Second home run of the year. That also off of Nathan Eovaldi. Nathan Eovaldi was pretty much sent out there to fail. He winds up going... Five and a third innings gives up eight runs, all of which were earned. Typically, a pitcher would be bold, but we know that the Boston Red Sox bullpen, not good, as they actually wound up having not necessarily the worst performance in the world. Two and two-thirds innings, they wind up giving up three runs, two of which were earned. Matt Burns gave up all those. Phillips Valdez was able to come in, and he was able to put out a little bit of a fire. Really, the only guy you could trust in this bullpen, but... For the Boston Red Sox, if you're looking for something encouraging, Alex Verdugo gets his fifth home run of the year. That was in the ninth inning off of Luis Sessa. And then Xander Bogarts winds up going deep off of James Bax in his fourth end. Lost in all of this because the Boston Red Sox are so terrible. James Baxton has not been great so far this year. 704 ERA. He goes five innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Cecil winds up giving up those two runs. And then you had Jonathan Luizga and Luis Avilan doing a good job out of the bullpen as well. And for the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that all of a sudden has given up eight-plus runs in each other last six games. Has to be some sort of a record for any team that does not play out there in Coors. And this has to be a record as well. The San Francisco Giants, for a second straight day, blow a three-plus run lead in their home ballpark in the ninth inning. They lose the Oakland A's by a count of 7-6. This game was 6-3 going into the ninth inning. And then Trevor got much like what happened to him on Friday. He got got once again. He comes into the ninth inning. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. This after Kevin Gosman winds up going five and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. But at least for Gosman, he wound up getting 11 punch-outs in the process. There certainly was none of those for Mr. Gott. And you've got 
to believe that he's no longer going to be this team's closer. But then again, Gabe Kapler is the manager. I have about as much faith in him as I do in the Tooth Fairy actually being able to eradicate the coronavirus. As Shamanea winds up going five innings in this one, he winds up giving up three runs, two of which weren't. He wound up getting five punch outs. Very weird play in which Mikey Stromsky, I think they awarded him a triple, and then he winds up scoring on a throwing error. That's where all that came from. Birch Smith winds up giving up three runs, and he goes for five outs. Getting that home run off of Birch Smith, by the way. Darren Ruff, who is spending some time out there in the KBO, his first home run of the campaign. That was good to see. And for the Oakland A's, the mashers for this team, Mark Canna hit the big one off of Trevor Gott on a full count with two men on his second home run of the campaign. Marcus Simeon goes deep off of Gosman for his second. You also have Matt Olson going deep off of Gosman. That is his eighth. Interesting one was Sean Murphy, guy that was hitting right around the Mendoza line coming into this game. He gets his second home run of the campaign. He got God as well as the Oakland A's wind up scoring seven runs despite going one of nine with runners in scoring position. Not something that you see every day is you also had Liam Hendricks coming in for the close in this one. Something that has not been very trustworthy is the Washington Nationals so far this year. They are 7-11 because they are always open to disappointment. They wind up losing to the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 7-3. For the Washington Nationals, Patrick Corbin did not give the start that they had desired. He gives up five runs over the course of five innings. He's now rocking a 391 ERA. Bullpen from there actually was not bad. Wander Swero was wandering all around, and I swear this guy sucks because he gave up another run. And then you had Javi Guerra giving up a run out of the bullpen as well, but... For the Washington Nationals, pair of home runs in this one. Juan Soto, his sixth of the campaign that came off of Asher Wojciechinski. And then you also had Trey Turner down for what? Going yard off of Mr. Asher, his fourth of the campaign. As for Wojciechinski, he winds up going grand total of five innings. He gives up three runs, all of which weren't including those two bombs. But how about the bullpen of this team? You've all of a sudden got something with Michael Givens being able to give this team a good inning. Cole Solzer was able to get the final four outs. And then Tanner Scott, he gets five outs. He doesn't give up any runs. So for the Baltimore Orioles, they continue to rake with Rio Ruiz being able to give this team his sixth home run the campaign. And the Baltimore Orioles are all of a sudden becoming a very good over team. They have now played three out of their last five games to the over. But more impressively, they have scored at least five runs in now eight out of their last nine games. That is absolutely impressive for a team that little was expected of. There was a little bit more expected of the Arizona Diamondbacks and the San Diego Padres, and they're both now hovering right around 500 as the Arizona Diamondbacks are able to get a 7-6 win on Saturday. This is a game that started out very calm. It was 1-1 going into the bottom of the sixth inning, and then the D-backs were able to open it up. The Arizona Diamondbacks did not wind up getting any home runs in this one, but 6-17 of 17 with runners in scoring position. They put 14 hits up on the board after the San Diego Padres. How about Fernando Tatis Jr. continuing to do Fernando Tatis Jr. things. His ninth home run the campaign. He hit that blast off of Alex Young, who Alex Young, by the way, always, in my opinion, has been a little bit underrated as a starter. He deserves a little bit more clout than he has gotten. Four and a third innings. He gives up that solo home run. Really nothing else. Kevin Ginkle and his 14-29 ERA were able to get out of the fifth inning. And then from there, Archie Bradley. He got the save. I don't know if he deserves it. He winds up getting four outs, and he gives up three runs in the process. And then you had someone widening the gap between you and your money if you took the under. Taylor Widener, he winds up going two-thirds of an inning. He gives up two runs in the process with three walks, so congratulations to him. But with the San Diego Padres, you also had Eric Hosmer going deep in this one. That was off of Mr. Widener, his third of the campaign. And Cal Quantrill probably should have been given a little bit more leash in this one. Three and two-thirds innings, he gives up a run. And then the man that really caused you if you were on the Padres, Pierce Johnson. He winds up giving up four runs, and he records one out in the process. That is called not good. And then you wind up having David Bednar 
come into this game. He winds up pitching two innings. He gives up two runs in the process as this Padres team has certainly gone through their bullpen quite a bit so far this year. A pair of bullpens that have actually been quite solid so far this year. Texas Rangers and the Colorado Rockies, they do battle in Coors. Once again, you get a Coors field under, and you get a Texas Rangers win in this one by kind of 6-4. to four. For the Rangers, Kyle Gibson, very good start. Six and a third innings. He gives up two runs. He looks to be remaking himself after he wound up being pushed to the Minnesota Twins bullpen towards the end of the year. Only four strikeouts in this game for the Texas Rangers, but that did not bother Mr. Rafael Montero, who was able to get the save in this one. He does give up an unearned run. And then from there, you also have Jonathan Hernandez, who gave up a run of the bullpen as well. But for the Texas Rangers, Dan Diedrich, formerly of the Reds, was able to get his first home run as a Texas Ranger. That was in the eighth inning after Herman Marquez, a good start in this one. Six innings, he gives up three runs, two of which were earned, considering it's Coors Field. That certainly was solid, and the man that really set this game on fire Carlos Estevez. He winds up giving up that home run to Diedrich. He goes one inning. He gives up three runs in the process. And then closing out the ninth inning, Joe Harvey was able to do a solid job as well. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is a bunch that they did not wind up getting any home runs in this one. And they went one for 13 with runners in scoring position. Yep, that'll do it for you. That's why they were unable to pull that one out. But what was able to be pulled out, a win by the L.A. Dodgers in Los Angeles as they wind up getting a 6-5 win for L.A. in this one. Walker Bueller. Well, he showed that he is a little bit of a different pitcher home to road. He winds up giving him five runs, four of which were earned over the course of four and two-thirds innings as Mike Trout now is his eighth home run coming off of paternity leave. This guy's been absolutely incredible. That is his ninth home run of the campaign. Andrew Heaney, he wound up getting a little bit banged up, but Joe Madden has certainly learned his lesson that his bullpen is not necessarily great. He gives up four runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. And then from there, Felix Pena winds up giving up a home run to Mr. Mookie Betts. For Mookie Betts, this guy is now officially on fire. He wound up having that three-home run game a couple days ago. He winds up going deep for his eighth home run of the campaign year. And for the L.A. Dodgers, very good job with the bullpen. Kenley Jansen was able to pull it out. Jake McGee did a solid job giving the team five outs. You also had Caleb Ferguson and Brasudo Gratal go one and two-thirds innings. They were both able to do their job. And for the L.A. Angels, really, other than Pena, you had a team that was able to do a solid job. Kenyon Middleton did give up a run, but that was the runner that starts on second base in extra innings. So it counts as an unearned run. And for the Dodgers, this is a team that entered into this series with a mark of only six overs so far this season. They have now played each other last three games to the overs. So that's what we all noticed from Major League Baseball on Saturday. Let's turn the page forward to Sunday. And we will do so with Jared Smith. Does an absolutely terrific job with SportsGrid. We're going to get his thoughts on some of these games. We're also going to be talking to him just about looking at some of these ballparks trying to zig when other betters are zagging and just try to get his thoughts on the season in general as well. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. This man does a terrific job as a host over there for Sports Grid does a little bit of everything. He does some work with FanDuel, MSG out there in the great state of New York. And you can follow him on Twitter at Jared Lee Smith. That is all together as it is Jared Smith joining me on the podcast. And it is great to have you aboard. How are you? Greg, I'm doing good. How's everyone doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me. And I know that there are mixed opinions as to how people are doing this baseball betting season some have been doing great some have been just trying to tread water what has been your biggest takeaway from this season because it certainly has been one unlike anything we've ever seen before and 
Right now, what I'm noticing is that if you've been taking underdogs right now, you're just absolutely cleaning else. Yeah, and I think the extreme outcomes is what we've seen thus far. And, you know, a lot of people thought, as expected, that the pitchers would be ahead of the hitters early. I don't think we've necessarily seen that as a blanket statement. I think the really good pitchers, the Jacob DeGroms and the Max Scherzers when they're healthy, the Shane Biebers, those guys, the Garrett Coles, they're dominating. But the average pitchers are certainly not ahead of the hitters. In fact, I would say the average pitchers and the below average pitchers, and there's plenty of those, have really struggled. And the offenses have settled in, I think, after the first week. And you're right, it's been choppy waters. It's a very volatile season. The early part of the season has been very volatile. I think these managers are managing the game a little more aggressively than they would be in early parts of the season, but it's been fun. It's been a decent product when they've been on the field and getting them on the field and all on the field at the same time has obviously been an issue as well, but I think it's been a positive restart for Major League Baseball when they've played, when they've had their ducks in a row and they've been able to get their guys on the field. Yeah, no doubt. We're dealing with a currently postponed series between the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's obviously unfortunate. And the St. Louis Cardinals wind up retaking yeah. the field on Saturday. And wouldn't you know it, a team that had won two games in the first three plus weeks of the season, they win two in an <laughs> afternoon. Just absolutely crazy because... You know what? That's what 2020 is all about. But I take a look at the St. Louis team. I do think that there's going to be some good opportunities to fade this team down the stretch just because I've got to think that this is a bunch that they're going to wind up running out of steam. I'm not saying fade them tomorrow because I don't think that they're going to be running out of steam the first couple days here. But it certainly is a situation which I think when we hit like early to late September, it is going to be a spot in which these guys are just playing such a rigorous schedule that at some point it's going to get to them. Yeah, and the Cardinals, you know, median-wise, one of the more veteran teams in the league as well. So, you know, Carpenter and Goldschmidt, you know, these guys, Weeders, these guys have seen a lot of miles. So, you know, they're fresh now, but you're right, the grind of it, and that's what we haven't seen yet, Greg. And to me, that's the difference in this season that we haven't yet seen and I don't know if we're going to see it. There are certain teams that it's a war of attrition where after 70, 80, 90 games, they just don't have enough bodies, enough healthy, warm bodies to really get the job done. And that's why a lot of those lower tier teams fall off once we get to August and September. That's not the case this year. So I don't know if we're going to see that regression for some of the bad teams that have started really positively, like the Orioles and even the Marlins, because there just isn't that much time left. It's like the time value of money when you're you know, in, working in the financial markets. Like There's only so many games left for them to regress back to their means. So I think you're going to see some pretty crazy teams make the playoffs and some even crazier scenarios shake out once we get to the end of the season. I do agree with you, as we do have Jared Smith joining me on the podcast. It's great work with SportsGrid, FanDuel, so many others. I know he appears on the show morning after with Ariel Epstein, someone else who has done this, who has joined this podcast and does a terrific job. So we are talking to him about everything that we're seeing in baseball and a couple games for tomorrow. And this one is catching my eye. We don't have any numbers on this game just because we had no idea who was going to be pitching for the Boston Red Sox until Saturday afternoon. Chris Mesa is going to be making his first career start for the Boston Red Sox. And <laughs> what you've got to think is going to be a bullpen game against J.A. Happ of the New York Yankees. We know this. J.A. Happ has been hapless when it comes to giving up home runs. He's given up three and seven innings so far this year, and he gave up north of two per nine innings during the 2019 season with Mesa. He's got a zero ERA over the course of two and two-thirds innings so far this year. I think that that's the best thing that I can say for him right now. Obviously, like I said, we don't have any lineup on this game, but I've got to think that this total is going to be north of 10.5. 
And at 10 and a half, I certainly would be hammering the over in this spot. And again, we're starting to see it now, even, you know, these Yankees and Red Sox series kind of reverting back to what we're used to seeing, which are these three, four hour marathons. The Yankees, Red Sox games are going to continue to play like that. The reason that the Yankees signed Hap to begin with and they brought him over was his numbers against Boston actually were fairly decent. And last year, they actually were pretty decent. 3-0 and with a 3 9 ERA against the Red Sox last year. I agree that on paper, it does look like one of those games that's going to fly over, and I can't really trust Jay Happ in a big spot. But I caution you to lay the big numbers in that game because Happ's numbers against the Red Sox haven't been as inflated as you might think. In fact, he's actually kind of a Red Sox stopper which is why the Yankees brought him over to begin with. But it is kind of a unique scenario because he's not looked good this year. It certainly is a spot where I'm probably not going to be taking the Yankees money line because you got to think that's going to be north of $2. It's one of those situations where you either take the run line of the Yankees or you wind up taking the plus price with the Red Sox because let's face it, I just don't think that we're going to find a one-run game when I think that both teams have the potential to be able to hang a touchdown on the board. So... That certainly is something that is catching my eye. Another game that I think is going to be a little bit more in reason is a game out there on the West Coast. We've got the Battle of L.A. Dustin May has really been catching the eye of a lot of people. He wound up getting a couple starts in 2019. Has looked terrific so far this year. He's going to be going up against Mr. Julio Tehran of the L.A. Angels. And we know this. The Angels bullpen has not been good. Tehran has not necessarily been very good. As, as I'm seeing it right now at a lot of places, Dodgers, anywhere between a minus 155 and a minus 165 favorite. I think the real turning point for this team was in that last game against the Padres when Mookie Betts was going for three home runs. Because prior to that game, the Dodgers were actually one of the top under teams in baseball. The offense was not really able to get stuck out of neutral. Now I feel like this team is really starting to get rolling. I think that we're going to see the Dodgers that we expected, a team that might be able to contend for 40 wins. I don't know if they're going to quite get there, but I think that they might be able to be on that tear, and I think that this offense really starting to fire in all cylinders. Yeah, it's funny when you say that. They're in contention for 40 wins. Like, it's not a natural thing you say when you're talking about baseball teams and being a positive statistic, but in this crazy year, all bets are off, as they say. Yeah, you're right. The Angels have been really poor with their bullpen, and I think the Angels in general have a very interesting decision to make with a lot of these aging stars. They just signed Rendon. Trout's kind of in and out this season. You know, he hasn't been great. He's been good. But it is an interesting scenario with the Dodgers because I agree with you with Dustin May. I mean, as much as we talk about Walker Bueller and even Ross Stripling to a sense and even Urias to a sense as well, you know, Clayton Kershaw is definitely on the back nine of his career. But Dustin May is the future of this team in terms of their rotation. I mean, he's kind of flashed that upside that you really want to see. His numbers have been good this season. He's pitched well against the Padres this season, which has been the chief competition for LA right now in that Western division. I think Colorado is a bit fraudulent. I think they'll kind of regress back to the pack a little bit. San Diego's proven to me that they can compete with LA this season. So the Dodgers need wins. They lead the league right now in run differential, and I think that means they're the best team in baseball, but they still need to win games because you don't want to be in a weird spot in this postseason. You want to be able to lock up that division, if not the one seed. You know, it's a very strange postseason format this year. So the Dodgers are desperate for some wins. I definitely see them winning. I think it's a good price, only laying 50 cents. I love the fact that you brought up the phrase weird spot because that's exactly what the Toronto Blue Jays season is. Or should I say the Buffalo Blue Jays are yeah, going right. to go see Tampa Bay Rays. And we've seen the totals really get hiked up. I remember in game one of the series, it went from like nine and a half on the open and it closed at 11. As I'm seeing right now as we're doing this podcast, you've got Matt Shoemaker and Yoni Torino's total of 10 and a half for a Tampa Bay Rays team that they certainly were able to get online with their offense against the Boston Red Sox. But let's face it, we know about the Boston Red Sox pitching. And I just think it's going to be very unique to be able to look at some of these games because out there in Buffalo, you're having a triple A stadium turning into a pro stadium. You notice that down the lines, 
the fences aren't out very deep. And I remember the Toronto Blue Jays in one of those games against the Miami Marlins. They hit seven home runs and wound up losing that mm. game. And it's just one of these things where I think that we're going to figure out a little bit more of these totals as they go along, just because it is a brand new ballpark. And I think that it's just really hard to adjust on some of these totals on the fly when you've only got a small sample size. It is. And, and that stadium is going to be an interesting handicap for totals this season. It's, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I had that game on FS1 and I was watching a little bit of that game and I wasn't paying attention as much to the game as much as I was to some of the dimensions of the stadium and how the stadium played. When you're watching a baseball game and, you know, when you cap a game, you know, there's so many games, so it's hard to cap every single one individually. But when you focus in on certain stadiums and certain trends, you get the feel for certain stadiums like Great American Ballpark at Cincinnati. It's a bandbox. You know, you feel like it's going to have a lot of runs. Same thing with Fenway and Yankee Stadium and in the opposite with some of the you know the more cavender stadiums out there we don't know how the stadium feels yet so we don't have a preconceived notion going into each game what it's going to feel like watching them a couple games here and it was actually a rain delay here on Saturday night so I'm really get a chance to watch that long of it but it felt like it was a smaller playing ballpark like it felt like a like a minor league ballpark so I could see the totals get elevated really quick I could see the books adjust very quickly if we see a lot of games like we saw earlier this week between the Marlins and the Blue Jays but the Blue Jays bullpen actually has been a little better than I thought the rotation's been good. Pearson had a rough start the other night, but he's been pretty positive in his first few starts. So Toronto's an interesting team. A lot of young talent. We talk about the White Sox a lot. We talk about some other teams that have, you know, dark horse potential with young talent. I think Toronto's on that list. Biggio, Bichette, Guerrero. I mean, I'm not talking about any 90s teams here. This is 2020s teams with those names on it. They're a fun team to watch. They play in a tough division, but they are a very fun team to watch. And if they can get Ken Giles back, that will certainly help them out as well because he's a very good closer as well as we've got Jared Smith joining me on the podcast. And when you take a look at the totals at these newer stadiums, because obviously we just talked about the one out there in Buffalo, and then you take a look at the new ballpark out there in Arlington, rather than being a lot more hitter friendly like it's been in the past, now you've got the roof, so it's obviously been playing pitcher friendly. And one thing that I'm going to be looking at with some of these newer ballparks is perhaps trying to see if the books over adjust a little bit more, just because we noticed with the ballpark out there in Arlington, it was just under, under, under those first two series. And then you wind up seeing a little bit of an explosion of runs in those last couple games of Texas's last series against the Seattle Mariners, because let's face it, all the Seattle Mariners road games at this point are going over. Going into Saturday, they had played one under on the road so far this year. I think that that could be something to exploit. When you notice a trend and you see a big adjustment, if you wind up going the opposite, that could typically be a good place because you notice that the books might be a little bit too short on something, and then they make a little bit of an over-adjustment before they wind up finding that good medium. 100%. The hardest thing to do as a novice better, someone just starting out in this, is to watch what you're seeing on the screen and to see the recency bias of what you just saw and to digest that and then to turn around and bet the exact opposite of what your eyes are telling you. Like if you want to talk about when you go to college and you take your first algebra 101 class and then you advance to the 400 level, that's 400 level gambling right there. It's the hardest thing to do because it takes a lot of discipline because you have to go against what your eyes are telling your brain, but it is the most valuable way to gamble. And I'll give you a great example. You know, on Saturday, the Grizzlies Blazers game. Blazers got off to a really good start in that game. I think they were up 15 or 16 points in the first quarter. That live line went from six to like 14 in a second very quickly. The best value on the board is to come back on the other side of that, but it's hard to do that because you just saw Dame Lillard stick a three or four threes right in your eyes. So you have to turn your brain off and don't bet with what your gut says and just trust the numbers and the numbers saying, hey, you're getting eight points on an NBA line. Same thing's true in Major League Baseball. 
And a great example is going to be these Cleveland Indian unders. The under is 15 and five right now for Cleveland Indians games going into Saturday night. And, you know, they had the best pitching staff in baseball and those numbers are going to start to get short really quick. You know, usually in the American League, nine is kind of the standard. Those are going to be booked like National League numbers by late August, early September. If, you know, Bieber and Plesak comes back and Clevenger keep pitching like they do. So yes, that's when you come back on the other side to the over. So it takes discipline to do that, but you have to watch and you just have to digest it as best you can and trust the numbers. No question. It certainly is one of these things that it is a little bit hard to take some of these ugly dogs. It's hard to sometimes look at something and be like, you know what? I'm going to take the under, even though I'm seeing over, (laughs) over, over, but it can be very profitable. And Jared, just taking a look at the board for Sunday, is there any other games that are really sticking out to you? Because it certainly is an interesting one. We finally have the Cardinals playing games once again. The Milwaukee Brewers have actually taken two from the Chicago Cubs. Being yeah. come up from Wisconsin, that makes me very happy. And then we obviously talked about the game that's off the board with the Red Sox and the Yankees. And I know that there's quite a few other games that might be quite fascinating as well. Well, Zach Wheeler facing his former team is very fascinating to me. And it's Rick Porcello going against him tomorrow afternoon game in Philly. So it's like the double revenge spot. You're not only facing your former team, you're facing the guy who they really brought on to replace you. So <laughs> it's a very interesting spot for the Mets. I would expect them to not be up to the task, but I say that with a sadistic hue as a Yankees fan here in New York City, but they haven't been up to the task in these games. And I think Steven Matz, the Mets are a fascinating handicap because the talent there speaks volumes and there's just something off. I don't know what, maybe it's the GM, maybe it's just the overarching theme of the organization, but the Mets don't play up to their potential every year. It's unfortunate because you got guys like Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil who could be amongst some of the best players in baseball if they're on a team that can kind of support them and put people around them that can do well. That's the problem is the guys that Brody's brought in, Porcello, Stroman's gone, Jed Lowry, muscle laxity, whatever that is in his arm. So like that's the kind of thing that is hindering the t- a team like the Mets. And Zach Wheeler is a perfect example of this. They let this guy walk. He's 2-0 with a 2 9 ERA. He's been brilliant. Now, the Phillies have struggled, but Wheeler's been brilliant. Syndergaard hurt. Stroman opts out. They could use Zach Wheeler right now, and they let him walk for about 15, 20 million years. So that's a very interesting game for me to watch. Very fascinated how Zach comes out. Oh, absolutely. And the Mets in general are just a fascinating team because you just never know what you're going to get out of them. Never know. Because every time you have low expectations for the bullpen, they'll go out and they'll fire like four (laughs) scoreless innings. And then when it's like, ah, the bullpen is finally getting into form, that's when Jersic Familia is going to give up a five spot in the seventh inning. We all know that this is the case. And what else we know is that, Jared, you do absolutely (laughs) terrific work. With Sports Grid, you. you and Ariel run a terrific show. I know you do some work with FanDuel, MSG, so much more. So let the good people at home just know how they're able to follow along on social media and just what you're doing in general. Absolutely. So Sports Grid, I like to think that we're that we're doing a good job over here. 24-7 gambling channel. We have so many great hosts on the network. They all do a great job picking games. They all do a great job. For every sport that, that there exists, we have someone who has a niche for it. So I encourage you guys all to follow Sports Grid. We're on a million different platforms. Roku, Pluto, Sling. I, I can't even name it. Just go to sportsgrid.com and you can find them all in me. I mostly host shows for SportsGrid. I do dabble with some writing on the side, but for the most part, Ariel and I do our thing every weekday morning, 9 to 12 Eastern. It's a fun show. It's very light. It's not heavy informative. Like we get into a lot of breakdowns, but you know, we have a lot of guests on. We have a lot of people on from different walks of life. We'd love to have you on, Greg, sometime. And we could talk all kinds of numbers and Vegas things. But it's a really fun show. And Ariel, we do a really good job prepping it, and we take a lot of pride in it. So I appreciate you having us on and promoting the brand. 
Absolutely. Jared and Ariel do an absolutely terrific job. And you just heard it. Jared certainly knows his stuff. So big thanks to Jared Smith for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time that I give you a signed total on every game on Sunday's MLB betting board and a little something like call Touch Them All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Big thanks to Jared Smith. Does a great job over there with Sports Grid for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the Sunday MLB betting board and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at GNRSquarty1. We do have a couple of games that are off the board, so I'm going to do my best with those as per usual. And with those, obviously, if there's a game that's off the board, I'm going to be giving you my plays on my Twitter feed in the AM. And as per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This begins with a game that is off the board. 901-902 on the betting board. Washington Nationals on the road facing off against the Baltimore Orioles. John Means is going to be going for the Orioles. Meanwhile, it is going to be Mr. Mad Maxers are going for the Washington Nationals. This is a game that's presently off the board. With both these guys, they've been dealing with injuries so far this year, so I'm going to be doing a little bit of a deep dive to see who's all in what sort of shape with Scherzer. He was dealing with a little bit of a hamstring injury, but what I'd like to see from him is that in his last start, he looked very solid against the New York Mets. He winds up being able to go six-plus innings. That is what you like to see as he wound up in those six innings, giving up just one run. Didn't necessarily look like himself as much when it comes to the command, but he certainly looked good enough. Meanwhile, with John Means, this is someone that he hasn't really seen a lot of time so far this year. He has made two starts, and it hasn't necessarily gone as playing four and two-thirds innings in his last start against the Miami Marlins. That was last Tuesday the 4th, and he wound up giving up one run there, but obviously in his first start against the Yankees, it is the Yankees, but that did not necessarily go as planned. And we do know this. Both these teams have had to run through their bullpen a little bit, especially the Washington Nationals, just not getting what they had desired out of Patrick Corbin. You expect a little bit more than five innings out of him. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, Ashley Wojciechowski giving them five innings on the other end is a little bit more encouraging because that's a little bit more of a bonus considering who it is. And for the Washington Nationals, they did not have a runner in scoring position their entire game against the Baltimore Orioles. They wound up having two home runs, and that pretty much was all the runs that they had. And for this team, they are going to be missing Sterling Castro. He was hitting about a 350 before he went out. Looks like he might be done for the year, but you are getting something out of Juan Soto. He's been able to do a terrific job. He has went deep six times already so far this year. And Trey Turner down for what? He wound up leading the league in stolen bases a few years ago. He's now hitting a 292. That's helping out this team. He's got quite a few guys hitting between about a 235 and a 250. Adam Eaton along with Carter Keboom and then you've got Garcia at the second base spot all doing that but Eric Thames hitting a buck 79 you expect a little bit more out of him as Rubo Cabrera along with Victor Robles have been able to get on base but this team other than Soto doesn't necessarily have ideal power meanwhile for the Baltimore Orioles you've got some guys that are lighting it up Rio Ruiz already has six home runs Renato Nunez has been able to go deep quite a few times so with Nunez he's hitting above a 300 Pedro Severino's hitting a 300 he's got some pop answer Alberto at the leadoff spot has actually been one of the best leadoff men out there in the big leagues 345 batting average Jose Iglesias hitting a 400 Anthony Santander has been able to give this team a little bit of something even Brian Holiday is 
is hitting above a 400. It's just absolutely ridiculous what you're getting out of this team. But Mad Max Scherzer is still Mad Max Scherzer with John Means. He certainly was the team's all-star during the 2019 season, but it is hard to get behind him a little bit more, especially with the Baltimore Orioles using some of their more trustworthy bullpen arms in that win on Saturday. They wound up having to go to Michael Givens for 17 pitches, so it's a little bit unsure of whether or not he's going to be available. Miguel Castro has had his ups and downs. Probably going to be looking at the Nationals on the run line in this spot, and if you're seeing another total like we wound up seeing with Patrick Corbin on the mound, that was closing at 9.5. It opened at 9. You can't think it's going to be quite that high, but I would say anything north of 8, so 8.5 or greater, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the under. Probably going to look at a Nationals run line, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 for set plays there. We move on to 903-904 on the betting board. This is the New York Mets, and they are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler is going to be going for the Philadelphia Phillies. Meanwhile, Rick Porcello is going to be going for the New York Mets. If you're looking at this total, it is 9.5 with the under anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 and the over is anywhere between even and minus 110. If you're looking at the Phillies in this spot, you're going to be finding it anywhere between minus 130 and minus 140. Meanwhile, plus price here on the Metropolitans is anywhere between plus 120 and plus 130. Rick Purcell certainly has looked a little bit better recently, but I still have absolutely no faith whatsoever in Rick Purcell. We all saw his work during the 2019 campaign while he was with the Boston Red Sox, a team that Quite frankly, he could probably use him right now, and he wound up having an ERA north of 5, currently 568 ERA so far this year. He's made four starts, and in his last two starts, he's given up a combined three runs over the course of 13 innings, but keep in mind, that was against the Washington Nationals, so I have a tough time getting excited about that. He's given up six walks in 19 innings. He's only given up one home run. He certainly gave up a little bit more hard contact during the 2019 campaign, but I think that that's going to come back. And with Zach Wheeler, this is someone that he's going to have a whole lot to prove against the New York Mets who decide, you know what, we don't need you anymore. And he's made three starts so far this year, and he's been pretty solid with the Philadelphia Phillies. He hasn't necessarily been getting as many strikeouts as you'd think. Eight strikeouts in 18 and two-thirds innings, so I certainly think that he's going to try to get a couple more swings and misses, but he's done a fairly good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. He's only given up one home run. Here's the thing, though. We know that the Philadelphia Phillies, their bullpen is absolutely terrible. They wound up entering into this weekend with a bullpen ERA north of 10. It's certainly been better in this series, but still... Not one you want to be putting too many chips in the middle with then for the New York Mets. You don't have a lot of faith with this bullpen either. Jersich Familia actually did a solid job for the team on Saturday, so that's a little bit encouraging, but they wound up having to blow through Dylan Batances again. Brad Brock is not going to be available, which means that you're going to have Edwin Diaz and a whole bunch of guys that you have absolutely no faith in. That's not necessarily ideal. And for the New York Mets, you do have a couple guys who are starting to hit. How about Luis Guillermo? Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. This is someone that's hitting a 455. He's been absolutely terrific. Tomas Nito, Robinson Cano, Michael Conforto, all hitting at 329 or greater. Dominic Smith has been able to hit a 300. He's been able to provide this team with some pop. He got his sixth home run of the year on Saturday. I like what he's doing. Brandon Nimmo's been able to give a little bit of something. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, JT Riamito has been white hot for this team. He's already got on the year eight home runs. He's been absolutely terrific. Bryce Harper hitting at 346, 477 on base. Reese Hoskins, despite hitting just a 208, 424 on base as well. Gene Segura along with Andrew McCutcheon and Reese Hoskins. You got to think that these guys are going to pick it up with a batting average 220 or lower. And Scott Kingery hitting at 0.93 is certainly not going to last. But what I do think is going to last is Rick Purcell just getting 
dinged up left and right. This is someone that I have absolutely no faith in whatsoever. I think the Phillies should be able to hit him, and they should be able to hit him hard. I'm going to be taking a look at the Phillies in either money line or run line form. As of right now, if they're able to keep this low, I might be looking at the money line. If I'm able to get a really good price on the run line, I'll consider it. But in some way, shape, or form, I'm going to be on the Phillies, and I'm certainly going to be taking this little over as well. We move on to 905-906 on the betting board. The Cleveland Indians are going to be hitting the road face off against the Detroit Tigers. Michael Fulmer goes for the Tigers. Meanwhile, Adam Blutko goes for the Cleveland Indians. If you're looking at the Indians, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 140 and minus 145. Meanwhile, the plus price here with the Detroit Tigers is anywhere between plus 130 and plus 135. And your total on this game is 9. With the over of 9, you're going to be finding it anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And the under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. With Fulmer, he has not been going deep in his starts. The Detroit Tigers announced before the season that this is someone that he's pretty much going to be a pseudo opener so far this year and that's exactly what he's been and that means that the Detroit Tigers who wound up having to use up a little bit more of their bullpen than they would desire on Saturday is going to be taxed a little bit more and for Fulmer he hasn't necessarily been great himself so far this year. He has made two starts. He's went two and two-thirds innings and three innings, and he's given up a grand total of four runs, three bombs in the process. This is someone that was not necessarily great in his last year. During 2018, when he was normally starting, he had 10-plus losses that year. And for Mr. Plutko, this is someone that certainly gives up a little bit of hard contact as well. In 11 innings so far this year, he's given up two home runs. During the 2019 season, he didn't necessarily have the world's worst ERA, but he was given up nearly two home runs per nine innings as well. So... That is certainly a concern. He's a little bit of a soft tosser. Does a good job getting some soft contact, but when he gets hit, he gets hit hard. And for the Cleveland Indians, they're just open to make any sort of contact whatsoever. They were able to get some opportunities in the game on Saturday, but they wound up stranding 10 men on base. Par for the course for the Cleveland Indians, but I think that Fulmer and company might be exactly what they need to be able to bust out because all of a sudden, you've got some guys that are starting to hit for a little bit of something, including Femio Reyes. He already has a 450-plus foot home run in this series. Now hitting a 292. He's been terrific. You've Jose Ramirez along with Cesar Hernandez. Both these guys have a 370 on base. And then you got a whole bunch of guys hitting below the Mendoza line for this team. Domingo Santana, Bradley Zimmer, Sandy Leon, Oscar Mercado, Taylor Naquin, all at that mark. And with Francisco Lindor, at some point he's going to hit better than a 212. Question is when. With the Cleveland Indians, they did have to go to the bullpen for Nick Wicker, and so he's not going to be available. But I would actually say that not having to deal with right hand is a little bit of an addition by subtraction. He's a guy that I actually trusts the least. I would rather see Adam Simber or someone like that come out of the bullpen for the Cleveland Indians. And with the Detroit Tigers having to use guys like Cicerno and company in that loss on Saturday, I do think that it helps them out a little bit. Though I do think that they should be able to scratch across a couple of runs. Willie Castro is currently hitting a 400 for this bunch. Now you're without CJ Chrome, but Jonathan Scope who else came over from Minnesota during the offseason. He's hitting at 243. He's been able to do something. Asa Romine is hitting right around 300 along Jacoby Jones. So you've got some guys who are able to hit, get on base. You've got a little bit of pop in the lineup. And I do think that this is a spot in which the Cleveland Indians should be able to bust out with bats. I'm going to be looking at the Indians in this spot. Right now, the only question is money line or run line. I'll probably wind up going with the money line just because with the Indians, you know that the bottom could fall out on this offense at any time. And so I'm going to be looking at that and I'm going to be taking this total over as well. 907-908 was supposed to be the Buccos taking on the Cincinnati Reds. Thanks COVID-19. That is not could be happening, so we move on to 909-910 on the banking board. The Miami Marlins are going to be playing with the Atlanta Braves. Robbie Erlin is going to be going for the Bravos. Meanwhile, Eliezer Hernandez goes for the Miami Marlins. Trollin's game is 9. Overs anywhere between minus 1.5 and minus 110. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. And with the Miami Marlins, 
pretty much finding them anywhere between minus 102 and even with the Braves anywhere between minus 108 and minus 110. Now note that this is not up in Vegas. This is up at a couple offshore books as I'm doing this. So I do want to throw that out there. But when you take a look at this Atlanta Braves team, bullpen has not necessarily been too bad. But with Robbie Erlin, you don't know what you're going to get. He's won six innings so far this year. And in six innings, he's given up three home runs and he's gotten an ERA of nine. That is not necessarily ideal. He wound up going two and two-thirds innings in his last appearance against the Philadelphia Phillies. He wound up getting it, and he wound up getting it hard. That is not necessarily the best. He was actually with the Pittsburgh Pirates to begin the year, and then he walked the plank to Atlanta. So there is that. And you need to take a look at what he did during the 2019 campaign with the San Diego Padres because this is a man that he has well-traveled. 537 ERA that year. That was not necessarily terrific. Now, he does a good job of being able to get some punch outs right around eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings during that campaign, but hard contact is the name of the game, and during the 2019 season, he wound up giving up right around a home run per nine innings, but he just gives up a lot of hits in general. And for the Miami Marlins, this is certainly not a team that is Lauded for their power numbers, they play in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, but you do have some guys that are doing a solid job for this team, including Asus Aguiar and Brett Anderson. With Anderson, he's hitting right around a 245, but he's been able to deliver the team four home runs. Asus Aguiar has done a good job as well, and he's hitting above a 300. Now, Francisco Cervelli, he's all over the place. He, Logan Forsyth, Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, and Eddie Alvarez, which, by the way, in case if you're wondering who Eddie Alvarez is, I never heard of him before the Miami Marlins picked him up either. They're all hitting at 200 or lower, so you have that going on. But Megarius Sierra is the guy that you want to be taking note of for this team. He's right now hitting well above a 300, 455 on base. He's been solid. And for the Atlanta Braves, this is a team that they're currently without Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies. That's certainly holding them back. Nick Marcakis has been able to do a solid job ever since opting back into the season. He's hitting a 296. Travis Sayar, no. Certainly a nice bat for this team as well. He's been able to give this team a 333 batting average. And then you've got Marcel Ozuna, who's went deep five times. 352 on base. Adam Duvall has been able to pick things up. He's hitting a 265. You need a little bit more out of a couple guys, though. Adeni Echeverria, Ender Enciarte, Yohan Camargo, all hitting a 220 or lower, so they have been scuffling a bit, but I do think that the Atlanta Braves here should be able to get a couple runs up on the board, but Eliezer Hernandez has actually been pretty good for the Miami Marlins. When he was at the minor league level during the 2019 campaign, he had a 1170 RA and he didn't give up a single home run and that was just absolutely insane. And he's been able to translate that to major league success so far this year. Two starts, nine and two-thirds innings. He's only given up one home run. He looks much more comfortable this year. He has the raw stuff. He just needed to put it together. I think that he's doing so right now. And I think that this is a very good spot in which Robbie Erlin is just not going to give a lot of length. The Atlanta Braves bullpen is not too bad with guys like Shane Green and company. But I just fear that this is an Atlanta Braves team that they're going to be in a little bit of an early hold. They're going to be able to do a good job of holding down the fourth. But I think that Hernandez going to be able to give a much better start here. So for that reason, we are going to be going with the fish and we're going to be going with the total under as well. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board is up next and this is my New York Post play of the day as the Kansas City Royals hit the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Randy Dobnik is going to be going for the Twinkies. Meanwhile, Brady Singer goes for the Kansas City Royals. Your total on this game is 9.5. The under of 9.5 is pretty much minus 115 to minus 120 across the board. Over is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Minnesota Twins, going to be finding them as low as a minus 175, as high as a minus 190, with Kansas City Royals finding them right around a plus 165 to a plus 175. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is a team that's actually been doing a very good job recently as they were able to sweep the Minnesota Twins last weekend. I believe that they have now won six out of their last eight games, so things are coming together for the Kansas City Royals. The bullpen is not too bad for this team. I'm 
Not going to say that it's like Mona Lisa Vito great or anything like that, but they certainly have been able to do a little bit of something. And for Brady Singer, he's given up 200 runs or fewer in three out of his four starts. He's won approximately five innings in every one of them. You got to feel like they might try to give him six here, if at all possible, because they wound up going with a double dip in that game on Saturday. And for Randy Dobnik, after getting a couple starts at the major league level during the 2019 season, he's been terrific this year. He's won 20 total innings. He's only gotten 11 strikeouts, so he's not much of a swing and miss guy, but with that said, what he's been able to do is have a ERA self of one right now. That is very impressive. He has not given up any home runs. Now, I will say, the teams that he's won up against, the Chicago White Sox, Cleveland Indians, Pittsburgh Pirates, and Milwaukee Brewers, really out of that quadrant, the only team that has really been hitting so far this year, that would be the Chicago White Sox, but he certainly has been able to overcome all of the obstacles. And when you take a look at this Kansas City Royals team, you are getting a little bit of something out of Mikel Franco. He's sitting at 253. He's got five home runs so far this year. But Whit Merrifield has been on fire in that doubleheader. He was just hitting everything that was coming his way. Three of four with four RBI in the team's 4-2 win in game number two. He's hitting above a 300. He has been terrific. And it's just big that this team has Salvador Perez back because not only does he help this team out at the plate, he's been hitting a 314, but he also is such a good, trustworthy defender catcher as well. He does a good job of framing pitches, so that actually upgrades the pitching along with the offense. And then when you take a look at the Minnesota Twins, you certainly have a bunch of power on this team. Jorge Polanco, Nelson Cruz, Marwin Gonzalez, Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, Byron Buxton, Jake Cave, all these guys that wound up hitting 20 plus home runs, but you got a couple guys that are currently just not hitting worth their weight. You've got Eddie Rosario, Ahir Adrianza, Jake Cave, Max Kepler, Miguel Sano, and Mitch Garver, all hitting a 225 or lower. Polanco and Cruz have been getting the job done at the plate, but their team is just not getting on consistently. They only got four innings out of Mr. Jose Barrios in game two of that double dip, so they are a little bit more taxed when it comes to the bullpen. I think that this is certainly a game that's going to be going under. I think that both these starters give a good effort, but I think that Singer is going to be able to give a little bit more length here. I do think that the lack of strikeouts is going to catch up with Randy Dobnik. As a result, I think that the Kansas City Royals are going to be able to get a couple runs up on the board. Keep in mind, you still have in the lineup Ori Soler, who wound up leading the American American League in home runs with 48 last season. So we're going to be going with the plus price here of the Kansas City Royals, and we're going to be going with this total under as well. We move on to 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. The COVID St. Louis Cardinals, and yep, every team that winds up having positive tests, you're now known as COVID. So that you got the COVID Marlins, the COVID Cardinals. Soon it's going to be the COVID Reds. So we've got all that going on, and they're in the road to face off against the Chicago White Sox. Dallas Keuchel is going to be going for the Sox. Meanwhile, to go to Hudson for the St. Louis Cardinals. If you're looking at the White Sox, they opened up about a minus 130 to minus 135 favorite, and it has certainly went up. I'm seeing them anywhere between minus 145 and minus 155 with the Cardinals. Anywhere between plus 135 and plus 142 is what I'm seeing on them. Total on this game is nine. The over and under are pretty much at minus 110 across the board. I'm seeing a stray minus 115 on and over as well, but pretty much you're getting minus 110 on this one, and I do think that this is a very good spot for the Chicago Whites they had a big giant clunker in their double dip against the St. Louis Cardinals on Saturday. I don't see that repeating itself. And with the White Sox, you've got some very good offense on this team. Eloy Jimenez certainly does a good job of both getting on base and being able to supply some boom. You've got to love the way that Yohan Moncada has been able to come on. He's typically a 300-ish hitter. He's dipped a little bit below that along with Luis Robert, but both these guys do a very good job of just being able to find a way on. Tim Anderson was missing from the fold for this team for about a week and a half. He's back in there. He wound up being the AL batting champ during the 2019 season, hitting a 333 so far this year. And you got to think that 
Yasmani Grandal along with Noah Mazzara and Edwin Encarnacion are going to pick things up. Both these guys are hitting a 230 or lower. Daniel Mendix, though, he's hitting right around 275. He's been able to provide a bit of something. And James McCann hitting at 343 has been terrific. Meanwhile, with the St. Louis Cardinals, a lot of people were very excited about the debut of Dylan Carlson. He wound up only having one hit in that double header, but he certainly is someone that is going to be able to bring a little bit of something to this lineup. Matt Carpenter, the last couple of years, just has not been good. He wound up having that hot end to the 2018 season, but he started off rough in 2018, started off rough in 2019, hitting below the Mendoza line, which is 200 so far this year. Tommy Edmond only hitting right around at 230. Paul Goldschmidt is looking a little bit more like Paul Goldschmidt. He was able to get a home run in that doubleheader, so that certainly helps this thing out, but I just have to question who in that Max Chirac is. I had never heard of him before until I saw him in the St. Louis Cardinals lineup for game two of that doubleheader. He was filling in for Colt Wong, who's currently hitting a buck 74. So you certainly don't have a lot of firepower here with the St. Louis Cardinals. And you got to think that some of these arms are a little bit out of shape. You wind up having to use up pretty much the entire bullpen because they wound up getting a three-inning start out of Jake Woodford in game two of that doubleheader. I just think that this is a very good spot here for the Chicago White Sox to wind up hitting Dakota Hudson and wind up hitting Dakota Hudson. And hard. I just question what sort of length to go to Hudson is going to give. And when it comes to ERA versus fielding independent, he might have been the luckiest pitcher out there in the big leagues during the 2019 season. We saw him get hit hard in the playoffs, and then we saw him in his first start of 2020 against the poopy Pittsburgh Pirates go four and a third innings. He gave up four runs, including two home runs. This is someone that is very much a fly ball pitcher. I think the White Sox are going to hit him very hard, so we are going to go with the White Sox in this spot, and we are going to be going with the total over as well. 9-15, 9-16 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Seattle Mariners setting the road to face off against the Houston Astros. Lance McCullers goes for the Strohs. Meanwhile, Justice Sheffield for the Mariners. If you're looking at this total, it is 9.5. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105 with the Houston Astros. You're going to be finding them as low as about a minus 225, as high as a minus 245. Meanwhile, with the Seattle Mariners, you're going to be finding pretty much $2 across the board. Anywhere between $2 and $225 is pretty much max I'm seeing on them. And this is a spot in which you certainly have to be taking a look at the Houston Astros. They've won 19 out of the last 20 games against the Seattle Mariners. Now, they didn't wind up putting up a bunch of runs on the board on Saturday, but I certainly do think that that is going to turn around. You've all of a sudden got Alex Bregman hitting. He's just notorious for getting off to slow starts. He is now hitting back above a 250, so that is a very encouraging sign. When you take a look at what you're getting on some of these other guys as well, it's very nice. Yori Gurriel was able to give this team a home run on Saturday. He's hitting right around to 282. Carlos Correa is hitting above a 300. He has been absolutely terrific for this bunch. Now, George Springer only getting a buck 85 is not ideal, but he's got a 333 on base. And then You've also got Jose Altuve, Kyle Tucker, and Martin Maldonado, only a 210 or lower. But how about what you've been able to get out of Josh Reddick? That he's hitting a 300. That's nice because Michael Brantley has been out of the fold the last couple of days. But you bring back Jordan Alvarez. He was able to get a home run in his first at bat back. And then with the Seattle Mariners, this is a team that has played all but two of their games on the road to the over so far this year because you do have a couple guys that are doing a good job of being able to get on base. Kyle Seeger, along with Kyle Lewis and JP Crawford, all have on base percentages of a 380 or higher higher, and you certainly have been able to get a whole lot of something out of Austin Supernola as well. This is someone that's hitting right around a 280. Now, you do have a couple guys that they just need to pick it up. Evan White, who did wind up getting the team a home run on Saturday, but he, Malik Smith, Shed Long, D. Gordon, Daniel Vogelback, 
All these guys are hitting a 200 or worse. And for that matter, everyone except for Long is hitting a buck 65 or worse. That's not getting the job done. Tim Lopez is hitting a 275 for this team. But you just take a look at the Seattle Mariners. The team ERA is right now dead last in the big leagues. They have absolutely no bullpen pitching whatsoever. And then enter the Houston Astros, who their bullpen has been very, very bad so far this year. You've got someone like an Andre Scrub who's going to be available. But for Lance McCullers, he's sort of been all over the place so far this year. He's got a 2-1 record. He just wound up getting lit up like a Christmas tree in that game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Looked a little bit shaky against the LA Angels, but came back with seven innings of one hit, no run baseball against the San Francisco Giants. So that was obviously a very good sign for him. Last time he faced the Seattle Mariners, that was his first start of the year. He gave up two runs over the course of six innings. It was a 72 win for the Astros. And I do think that this is a spot in which you could see something similar from McCullers. I do think that the bullpen gives up a little bit more because it is a bit more banged up than when he took them on the first time. But I think that for Seattle, just a Sheffield, just a guy that you can't trust in. He has gone 13 and two-thirds innings so far in his three starts. He's just not giving you a lot of length at this point. He looked very good in his last start against the Colorado Rockies, but on the road, this is someone that he just has not necessarily been great. He's given up zero home runs so far this year, but he's also given up six walks in those 13 and two-thirds innings. He's been doing an okay job of getting swings and misses, but he's given up approximately four hits in every one of his three starts as well. I do think that this is a good spot for the Astros to be able to get a touchdown plus on the board, so I'm going to be taking a look at the Astros on a run line here. With the Astros run line, you're seeing this right around minus 130-ish in a lot of spots, and I'm going to be taking this total over as well. We move on to game number 917-918 on the bank board. The Milwaukee Brewers are on the road facing off against the Chicago Cubs. John Lester goes for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Josh Lindblom, the 2019 KBO MVP, is going to be going for the Milwaukee Brewers. And the crew are finding themselves as underdogs in this spot. If you're looking at the Brewers, find them as low as about a plus 110, as high as a plus 120. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cubs, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 125 and minus 135. Total on this game is off the board since it is regularly field, but keep in mind, over the last 55 matchups between these two teams, I believe that we have seen 32 of those games go under. So it has been a very hot trend when you take a look at Wrigley Field in particular. Over the last 30 games, two-thirds of the games have went under. And for Josh Limbo, it has been a little bit of a rough go of it so far this year. But he's shown that he's been able to get strikeouts. 12 and two-thirds innings over his three starts. 20 strikeouts. You are going to have our good buddy and Josh Hader available if this is a save opportunity for the Brewers. Now with Lindblom, he has given up four home runs, but the wind has been blowing in recently at Wrigley. You just haven't had too much wind in particular in this ballpark, so it might be a little bit of a non-factor, but it certainly should play to the advantage of Mr. Lindblom. And then when you take a look at John Lester, he has been absolutely magnificent this year. Three starts. He has a 1-0-6 ERA in 17 innings. He has given up a home run, but he's only walked four. Now the strikeouts are down. He's only got nine strikeouts. And it seems like the Brewers' bats have all of a sudden been awoken. They have scored four-plus runs in each of their last two games. Someone call the papers because this team is on a burner. Now, with the Milwaukee Brewers, I will say this. Among the starters that wound up seeing the field for the team on Saturday, you've right now got one guy that's hitting above a 262, and that would be Luis Arias. And I believe that he has played six games for this team. You still got Christian Yelich hitting a buck 76. Omir Narvaez was, for some reason, in the leadoff spot. He's hitting a 
buck forty. He's not necessarily the most fleet of foot. I have absolutely no idea what that was. Ryan Braun is hitting a two hundred eight. He's been banged up. Eric Sogard's hitting below a two hundred. Ben Gamble's hitting a buck fifty one. And then you take a look at the Chicago Cubs. This is a team that's scuffling a little bit as well. Chris Bryant is doing a little bit better than the ice cold start that he got off to to begin twenty twenty. But he's still someone that's hitting below the Mendoza line. You take a look at what you're getting out of Albert Almora Jr. Well, you can't take a look because it's pretty much nothing. David Bodie is hitting a two twenty two. Steven Sosa Jr. was able to get a home run, but he's still hitting a buck seventy six. You got Jason Kipnis, who's been very good for this team. He's hitting a three fifty seven, but Kyle Schwarber. Javi Baez, both these guys are hitting at 235 or lower as well. Nico Horner has honestly been doing a terrific job of getting on base. And with the Cubs, this is a team that they're in the bottom three in the National League when it comes to bullpen ERA. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, you've got a much more trustworthy bullpen. I do think that Josh Lindblom is not going to be able to quite match what John Lester does. But as long as the Brewers could just scratch across a little bit against Lester find themselves down maybe like one or two runs late. I think that the Brewers should be able to get into that bullpen. They should be able to hit it once again as you wound up having to use up quite a few guys for multiple innings. Jeremy Jeffries is not going to be available. Dan Winkler is not going to be available. They wound up having to go to Tapera as well as they wound up having to get a three and a third inning start out of Colin Rhea and I think that really plays the Brewers advantage. So we're going to be going with the Milwaukee Brewers. Total is to be determined based on the win. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JRS41 likely leaning towards an under but you just never know there. So that's what we're going to be riding with as we go to 919-920 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Toronto Blue Jays and they are going to be playing also the Tampa Bay Rays. Now I will say this right now. If you're seeing a total at your book of like 10, 10 and a half, I recommend the under and I recommend you sprint and try to make sure it doesn't get voided because instead of a 9 inning game, this is going to be a 7 inning game. This is going to follow up the game that was suspended on Saturday. So I am going to give you that piece of advice as the Tampa Bay Rays hit the road face-off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Matt Shoemaker is going to be going for the Toronto Blue Jays. Meanwhile, it is going to be Yoni Chorinos who's going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays. And even though I say that they are the Toronto Blue Jays, they are playing this game in Buffalo. And if you're seeing this total at 10.5, like I said, just take the under because you're seeing totals of 10.5 still on the board. Overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. I certainly don't recommend that. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105. And across the board, you're finding the Tampa Bay Rays right in the neighborhood of about a minus 120 eight, and I'm seeing as high as minus 140. Meanwhile, with the Toronto Blue Jays, you're going to be finding them more in that plus 120 range. I'm seeing as low as a plus 118, as high as a plus 125, and this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, just because Matt Shoemaker has been doing one thing very well so far this year, and that's giving up just a whole bundle of hard contact. This is a guy that I want absolutely no part of, because we were talking about it with our good buddy Jared Smith, and how this ballpark is playing so shallow. Matt Shoemaker, over the course of 16 and two-thirds innings so far this year, has given up five home runs. That is not ideal. Meanwhile, Mr. Yoni Chorinos did wind up giving up a couple home runs during the 2019 season, but he has actually been terrific so far this year. Eight two-thirds innings across his two starts. Not a lot of length, but he has a 1-0-4 ERA. He has given up four walks. That's always been a little bit of an issue with him, but he does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. That's something that I absolutely love about him in this spot, because even though he might not be able to go as far as Matt Shoemaker has won six-plus innings in a couple starts so far this year, the 
Tampa Bay Rays always do a good job of coppling up that bullpen. And you've also got Brandon Lau for the Tampa Bay Rays. This guy is hitting above a 300. He's got five home runs, 19 RBI. Austin Meadows seems to be starting to find it. He's hitting a 263. And then you've also got Yandy Diaz, who's hitting more around a 290. Mark Brusseo, a 367. William Thomas is hitting nearly 300. This is a team that all of a sudden has been able to come alive. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, this has been a little bit more of an all or nothing team. You've got two guys doing a good job of getting on base. Oscar Hernandez, who's hitting right around a 300, and Boba Shed, who's hitting more in the neighborhood of a 360. And they both get home runs, along with guys like Lords Guriel, Kavan Biggio, and with Lords Guriel, he's hitting a 233 right now. You can expect that to go up a little bit, but Kavan Biggio is like a career 220 hitter. Flagger or Juniors right now hitting a 238. He's not a guy that's necessarily going to do a great job of getting on base. Roddy Tolles is hitting a 222. I don't know about you, but I am feeling 222 just like Taylor Swift. Brand new jewelry along with Reese McGuire, Danny Jansen. All these guys are hitting below the Mendoza line. That is a little bit killer. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, this is a team that they just don't have the depth in the bullpen as the Tampa Bay Rays do. Now, the good news for them is in the suspended game, Chase Anderson only wound up going three innings. They were trying to stretch him out. So the good news is they won't be affected in that game. Too bad we can't bet on that game. The only thing that we can bet on is a seven-inning game. Like I said, if you're seeing a total of 10.5, take it under. And if you're taking a look at this without the 10.5, I would say as long as the total is below 8.5, I would recommend an over. So 8 and under is where I'd be taking a look. Once you see 8.5, that's when I would start to dip under. But certainly going to be taking a look at the Tampa Bay Rays on the money line in this spot as well. 921-922 on the betting board is up next. The Texas Rangers are going to hit the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. John Gray is going to be seeing 55 shades of gray on his uniform, and he's going to be going for the Rockies. Meanwhile, Kobe Allard is going to be going for the Texas Rangers. Your total on this game is 12. The over and the under are pretty much at minus 110. I'm seeing a straight 12 and a half out there as well, so that's obviously very nice if you have it available to you. Meanwhile, with the Colorado Rockies, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 145 and minus 155. The Texas Rangers or anywhere between plus 135 and plus 140. And I do think that this is going to be a good bounce back spot for the Colorado Rockies. They have lost the first two games of the series. And I will say, Colby Allard has been solid in two starts. He hasn't necessarily been given a lot of length, but he's given up one run in those two starts. He has gotten nine strikeouts as well. The three walks, neither great, neither terrible. And he actually is a serviceable pitcher. Now with the Colorado Rockies, John Gray wound up having a home ERA right around a 3-5 during the 2019 season. He's coming off a rough start against the Arizona Diamondbacks in which he just got completely shelled. He wound up giving up eight runs over the course of three and a third innings, but you take a look at his other starts at Coors, wound up giving up four runs, three of which were earned in the previous start. Start before that against the San Diego Padres, three runs, two of which were earned as well, so he hasn't necessarily been getting the best support out there in the field. Now I will say, with John Gray, he's not getting swings and misses right now. He's got a grand total of nine punch-outs and four starts. That's just not going to cut it, but I will say this as well. He is backed up by a very good bullpen with guys like Jario Diaz and company, and for the Colorado Rockies, you got to feel like this is a team that's going to start to hit after they wound up getting a combined six runs in the first two games of the series. You've got Charlie Blackman starting to cool down. You figured that this was going to be the case. You can't hit 500 forever. He's hitting a 438, which is still very, very good, to say the least. Daniel Murphy, Trevor Story, Garrett Hampson, all hitting above a 3 and this is a team that actually has a couple bats that you've got to expect to heat up a little bit. Nolan Arenado, Hitting a 247, that's low for his standards. And then you've got Matt Kemp along with Remy Altapia, Ryan McMahon, and Tony Walters all hitting in between a 222 and a 242. So those are guys I look at as being guys that can rise up. And for the Texas Rangers, this is a bunch that they just don't put the ball in play right now. Sinju Chu has gotten his batting average up to a 250. And Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa along with the Todd Father, Todd Frazier.
Frazier, Nick Solak, all in a 290 or greater is nice, but then you take a look at the rest of these guys. Scott Heineman, Willie Calhoun, Joey Gallo, Rudnett Odor, Elvis Andrews, all hitting below a 200. Now, Joey Gallo is going to be able to pick it up. I feel very assured of that, and he's got a 347 on base, but this is certainly a bunch that they're not doing the best job of being able to put balls in play. They haven't necessarily been a team that struck out too much, but they just can't find a way to be able to make our contact at this point. I think that this is a good bounce back spot here for the Colorado Rockies. I think that Allard is going to be very solid, but with Nick Goody now on the 10-day injured list, you're still without Danny Santana and Robinson Chirinos as well. I think that this is a very good spot for a Colorado Rockies team that is fully healthy right now. So we're going to go with the Colorado Rockies, probably going to be looking at some sort of a run line in this spot. If you're looking at the Rockies run line, you're going to be finding it a little bit closer to even money right now. I'm seeing some minus 105s, so certainly going to be taking a look at that, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under as well. We move on to game number 923, 924 on the betting board, and this is currently off the board as it is the Oakland A's in the road face off against the San Francisco Giants. Logan Webb is going to be going for the Giantes. Meanwhile, Mike Straight Fires is going to be going for the Oakland A's. This is a game that's currently off the board. And if you're taking a look at this total, if you're seeing it at 9 or lower, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the over because with the San Francisco Giants, all but one of their home games have went over so far this year. It is absolutely ridiculous, but I will say this for Logan Webb. He's actually done a pretty solid job for this team. He has given the team a grand total of 16 innings, 1-1 one one record, 281 ERA over the course of four starts. He certainly hasn't been able to give a lot of length, four innings or fewer in three out of his four starts, but with that said, he has given up more than two runs in just one start, and when he did give up five runs against the Houston Astros, three of them were unheard. He was just completely hurt by the fielding because Gabe Kapler is a piece of poop manager. He, for some reason or another, decided, you know what, we're going to trot out there Trevor Gott again after he wound up getting got in the game on Friday. He wound up costing all of us who wound up taking the San Francisco Giants a very valuable money line, and we've seen his work with the Philadelphia Phillies. It's not good. That's putting it very politely. So, managing advantage to the Oakland A's in this one. With that said, when you're taking a look at the Oakland A's with Mike Straight Fires, according to ESPN, it's supposed to be Frankie Montas, but everything else I'm seeing is going to be Mike Fires. This is someone that he typically gets off to rough starts. Over the last three years, in the first six starts of the year, he has an average ERA hovering right around a six. So, I mean, that is something that you do want to take into account. He's given up four plus runs in three out of his four starts. He's certainly not getting a bunch of strikeouts. He's got a grand total of seven strikeouts over the course of his four starts, so that certainly is lacking, but what is not lacking is the fact that Matt Olson, despite hitting a buck 58 so far this year, has eight home runs. It is absolutely remarkable. Eight out of his 12 hits have flown over the fence. Yeah, I think that that is going to balance out a little bit, but Robbie Grossman has been able to do a good job of getting on base for the team as well. He's been able to hit some bombs. He's hitting right around 8.285, and for some of these Oakland A's hitters, you got to feel like at some point they're going to be able to get their batting average up. Marcus Simeon is hitting at 2.17. That's not going to last. Now, Ramon Loreno has been out of the fold because, well, he wound up having a little bit of a tussle with the Houston Astros over the weekend, but with that said, Chris Davis, even though he's not going to be able to get back to being like a 250-plus hitter, he was hitting 244 for so many years, he's certainly going to do a little bit better than a buck 40. You now have in there a little bit of an interesting gentleman in Vamil Machin. I had never heard of him before until I saw him out there on the field in the series. He's hitting a 100. I have zero faith in him, but Marcana was able to hit a big home run against the San Francisco Giants on Saturday. He's hitting a 271, 398 on base, so these guys are starting to pick it up. And with the San Francisco Giants, for as terrible as their pitching has been, 
They have actually been very good at the plate. How about Austin Slater, Mike Ustremski, Wilmer Flores, Darren Ruff. All hitting a 281 or greater with Ustremski. This guy has been absolutely terrific in providing five home runs as well. Evan Longoria, he's on the back half of his career. He's hitting a 232, but even Austin Dickerson is hitting a 265. You've been able to get a little bit of something there. Chadwick Trump has come back to the fold, but you even take a look at what you're getting out of Donovan Solano. 433 batting average. Is this sustainable? No, but he's doing a pretty solid job. This is a spot in which, like I said, if I'm seeing a total of nine, I'm going to be taking it over. And I certainly have a lot more faith in the Oakland A's bullpen at this point than the San Francisco Giants. But if you're once again getting a big plus price with the San Francisco Giants, I might be muck enough to take it once again. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41. But if you're seeing a little bit more of an even up line, going to be taking the A's. If you're seeing a big plus price, probably going to be riding with the Giants. 925-926 on the betting board is up next. The LA Dodgers are going to be hitting the road face-off against the LA Angels. Julio Tehran going to be going for the Angels. Meanwhile, Dustin May is going to be going for the Dodgers. Your total on this game is 10. With the 10, you're finding the over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 125. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and plus 105. Oh, and I'm seeing a 9.5 out there as well. On the 9.5. Over is minus 120, and the under is even. Meanwhile, with the Dodgers, this is a little bit more consistent. You're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 170 and minus 180. With the Angels, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 165 and plus 155. And I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the LA Dodgers in this spot. We were talking about it with our good buddy, Jared. I absolutely love what Dustin May is able to provide. This is a guy that's able to throw 99-plus right down the gauntlet, 275 ERA, 17 punch outs at 19 and two-thirds innings. He has given up two home runs, so this could be one in which a Angels are able to bust out a little bit, and we know this with Mike Trout. He's got seven home runs ever since coming off paternity leave. This guy has been absolutely incredible, but you do have some scuffling bats when it comes to the LA Angels as well. Well, you've got Tommy LaSalle, Brian Goodwin, Mike Trout, David Fletcher, all hitting for a batting average of a 270 or greater. You've got Joey Otani, Anthony Rendon, along with Mr. Ward, Luis Rangifo, and Albert Pujols, all hitting at a 200 or lower. So that has been a little bit of an issue. I will say Max Stassi hitting a 250 and doing a solid job at the catcher spot has been nice for the team, but for the Dodgers, this is a team that all of a sudden they're getting busted out. Mookie Betts has been absolutely terrific. I mean, I'm sure that there's a team that I'm going to be talking about in a few minutes that wishes that they didn't trade him. He's hitting a 309. He got his eighth home run of the campaign in the team's game on Saturday. You've also got Justin Turner down for what? Corey Seager, A.J. Pollock, Chris Taylor. These guys are all in between a 280 and a 290. Kike Hernandez along with Austin Barnes, both hitting right around a 250. Now you've got Cody Bellinger and Max Muncy both hitting below a 200, but you know that these guys are going to pick it up. And with the Dodgers, you've actually got a pretty decent bullpen. You did wind up blowing through a couple guys like Caleb Ferguson, Rasuda Gratol as well, but you are going to have in the fold someone like a Pedro Baez to be able to help you out. And with the Angels... They are just getting absolutely nothing out of Mr. Julio Tehran. He has gone four and two-thirds innings and two starts so far this year. He's given up two home runs. He is averaging right around seven and a half walks per nine innings. And he's got a 13.50 ERA. Now, I do think that this is going to drop. I do think that with the Angels, if they have to go to Matt Andres for long relief, he's actually been doing a good job in that role. I still remember the game in which Shoei Otani wound up getting no outs against the Oakland A's, and he came in for 5-plus, and he looked very good. So, for that reason, I'm going to be siding with the under, but I certainly think that this is an absolutely tremendous spot here with the LA Dodgers. I'm going to be taking them on the run line. I'm seeing them anywhere between even money and minus 110. So, we're going to be riding with that, and we're going to be riding with the under as well. 927, 928 on the bang board is up next. The San Diego Padres are in the road to face 
face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Snakes are out there. Robbie Ray, meanwhile, is going to be Garrett Richards going for the pods. If you're looking at the Padres, they are anywhere between minus 118 and minus 125 favorites. Meanwhile, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. Your total on this game is 9. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. And with Garrett Richards, I just have a little bit of a tough time trusting with him. And with the San Diego Padres, this is a bullpen that all of a sudden, after being very, very good and being hyped up coming into the year, it's fallen a little bit flat. Kirby Yates has been dealing with a little bit of ailments, and when he has been healthy, he just has not been himself. That is putting it very politely. And with Garrett Richards, this is someone that he has just been banged up year in and year out. I think that he's made 12 starts or fewer in each out of his last four years, so that's certainly not an encouraging sign for him. 374 ERA so far this year. He has been doing a solid job of being able to just stay in games in general. 20 one and two-thirds innings. He's only given up two home runs, seven walks, so nothing great, nothing awful. And with Robbie Ray, the big thing with him is command. This is always a guy that's able to give you 11 strikeouts per nine innings, but for the love of Pete, throw the ball over the plate. 10.59 ERA so far this year. In four starts, he has given up 14 walks in 17 innings. He has had at least two walks in every one of his starts, at least three walks in three out of four of them. It's just absolutely atrocious. He's just knocking himself out early because he just Backs up his pitch round. He's given up five plus runs in each out of the team's last three starts. And ironically enough, they're two and one in those starts. So, I mean, that's just one of those things where it's like one doesn't add up to the other. And this is certainly it. I will say this for the Arizona Diamondbacks. If they do wind up having to use a long reliever like Taylor Clark or something, these guys have actually been pretty solid in that role. They've actually got some of the best long relief pitching that you're going to find. They also just do a solid job on defense in general. Nick Ahmad, one of the best plus defensive shortstops that you're going to find out there in the big leagues. Now you've got a very hit or miss lineup because the middle of the lineup has actually been doing a great job. The Marte Parte, Cattell Marte and Starling Marte along David Peralta and Christian Walker. All these guys are hitting a 300 grader. Eduardo Escobar, Carson Kelly, Barsho, who I'd never heard of before before he was playing in this series. These guys are all hitting at 225 or lower. It is very fitting that I didn't know the first name of Dalton Varsho before this because this is someone that he just has provided absolutely nothing to this point. Meanwhile, you've got Nick Amad hitting at 243. He's been doing a little bit of a better job. And for the San Diego Padres, you've got to feel like some of these guys are going to be able to pick up their batting average. Fernando Tatis Jr. has been doing a little bit of everything. He winds up going deep once again. He's hitting above a 300. But then, past that, you've got Eduardo Alvias, Josh Naylor, Austin Hedges, Tommy Pham, Manny Machado, Francisco Mejia, Jerickson Profar, all hitting a 220 or lower. That is not necessarily going to get the job done. Trent Grisham has been doing a good job of getting on base. 374 on base along with Craig Garcia is hovering right in that neighborhood as well. And Eric Cosmer being back helps out this team. Eric Cosmer was able to get his third home run of the campaign. He missed a little bit of time so far this year. But I do think that the Arizona Diamondbacks are finally going to get something out of Robbie Ray. I just think that this is a bad spot for Garrett Richards. And we've been noticing that the roof has been open a little bit more in Arizona. I think that that's going to be conducive to runs as well. So for that reason, we are going to be going with this total over and we are going to be riding with the snakes and we wrap things up with 929 930 on the betting board he who are about to die salute you as the boston red sox are going to be hitting the road face off against the new york yankees oh goodness gracious you've got jap going for the new york yankees chris mazza going for the boston red sox the red sox bullpen is completely taxed at this point and as a result, the team has given up eight plus runs in each out of their last six games. 
I can't remember the last time I saw a team not playing at Coors have that sort of a streak. And for Mr. Meza, he wound up doing some relief work with the New York Mets during the 2019 season. Nine total appearances. He has a 5-5-1 ERA. I will say this for him. I was taking a look at his AAA numbers. He was pitching out there at AAA Syracuse and another spot. Right around a 3-5-ish ERA. He does a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. Walks can sometimes be a little bit of an issue with him. And that was showing in the big leagues. He had a 2.2K to walk rate while he was with the New York Mets. But let's face it, he also gave up a bunch of hard contact while he was with the Mets as well. 16 and a third innings. He gave up 21 hits. And this is a big leagues. This is not AAA. And he's backed up by a whole lot of nothing out there in the field. But these guys are able to hit. You've got Kevin Plar hitting above a 300. Clevin Ploiecki has been good as well. You've also got Mitch Moreland. He's hitting a 300. He's been able to give this team some moments runs. Alex Verdugo has been solid as well. He's been really the only piece in that trade of Mookie Betts that has been able to do something. 273 batting average. And you've got Sandra Borger sitting at 273 as well. Rafael Devers is going to hit better than a buck 89 and Andrew Benatendi has just not been in the fold. And when he's been in the fold, he's actually been a liability. But then you take a look at the Yankees. No Jonathan Carlos Stanton. No Aaron Judge. No problem for this team because you've got DJ LeMayu hitting above a 400. Gio Shell is hitting at 270. Heck, you've even got someone in Thario Estrada. He's hitting right now a 667. He's getting in on the act. Gary Sanchez, who was doing absolutely nothing prior to the series, he winds up going yard off of Nathan Eovaldi on Saturday. Clint Frazier and Eric Kreitz are both hitting a 500 or greater. Luke Voigt is hitting a 267. I just think that this is going to be a bludgeoning once again. But if you wind up getting like some ridiculous price with the Red Sox, I might wind up taking it because for as bad as Mesa is and as bad as this Red Sox bullpen is, Jay Happ has been terrible. He's got a 10-29 ERA. He's given up three home runs in seven innings. I know that we had our buddy Jared talking about how he's a Red Sox stopper. This is not the same Red Sox team that we've seen in the past. And this guy has just been flat out awful ever since the 2019 season. He went 12-8 and during the 2019 campaign, but he was giving up two home runs per nine innings, five ERA. This is a guy that's just completely lost in the wilderness at this point. I have absolutely no faith in J-Hap whatsoever. If you wind up getting some ridiculous price with the Boston Red Sox, I might consider it at any total below 11. You better believe that I'm going to be going with the over in this spot. So that's my look at that. And that is everything for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Sunday. A big thanks to Jared Smith. Does terrific work with Sports Grid, FanDuel, MSG, so many others outlets. He joined me in the second segment, and if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you ever have any question for the podcast, fire it into my timeline at yours41. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.